welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Glazeville, where we look in more depth at passages that were preached on Sunday. I'm Dave. I'm Seb. And I'm Mandy. On Sunday, we turn to Mark chapter 10. On Sunday, we were looking at the section from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through to 45, but we focused in on verses 1 to 12 as we looked at the big issue of divorce. So what we thought we'd do today is do a podcast in two parts. The first part is just to have a look at some of the other passages that are related to divorce and remarriage, especially in the Gospels, and we'll give some reference to a couple of things you might want to read. And then we'll walk through those other great passages of Scripture that we, uh, for good reasons, um, can find our, our, uh, our sermon so that it didn't include that. So um, thanks so much, Seb. So... Um, Talk us through a little bit about, it must have been, a, it's a hard passage to preach, isn't it? It's one of the great things of being, doing a series where you're working through a text section by section, because mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I wouldn't choose to go here. Um, and yet that's the challenge of actually, no, let's hear what Mark's saying. Let's hear what the Bible's teaching. Let's not just go to the passages we're familiar with or um, that are easy to deal with. And uh, so it was great to dig into it. And in conversation with others afterwards, um, people found it helpful uh, on a topic that doesn't always come up at church or in Bible study. And so it's good to hear what Jesus has to say on it. Um, I did flag a, a couple of passages that we said in sermon seasonings we would read. And I think it's good to engage with some of the questions that get raised, some of the uh, additions and differences between Mark 10 and those passages. So uh, the Three that we're going to look at, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, then Matthew 19, and then 1 Corinthians 7. So maybe we'll start with Matthew chapter 5. Okay. Mandy, do you want to read that for us? Indeed. So Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So it's a succinct couple of verses there. Uh, Now, what's the context of this, Seb? Uh, So you've got Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's in a section where he's going back and forth saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Mm. And the key kind of contextual verse, verse Uh, 20 in chapter 5, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's he's having a bit of a a challenge of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, it would seem, because they're the ones who uh, they've heard it said from, I take it. So similar in sort of context. And, And in terms of the things that this particularly contributes. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. It seems to me that there is a. Um, it deals with both divorce and remarriage. So he's tackling the question of, uh, you know, the, the the big command is just make sure you do the right thing and give them a certificate of divorce, and so that they can go on and their live their lives. That's what they have heard it said. But but Jesus is saying, what are you being so easy about? Um, if you think righteousness means giving someone a piece of paper, righteousness means sticking with them and not divorcing <laughs> them in the first place. And and so uh, there's interesting, so he talks about that and he, and he, as you said on Sunday, raises up the, the status of marriage and the importance for it to be permanent. But I think the interesting thing is here is he's talking about what enables someone to, uh, well, it's more like he's saying the general rule is 
if you're divorcing someone, then when they remarry and the person who marries them, uh, they actually become adulterers if you divorce them. And he only gives one exception, which um, is the bit where it says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. So if you divorce them when it was a case of sexual immorality, Jesus is saying that the remarriage would not be a case of committing adultery. In other words, it's saying you're free to remarry under that exception. But the big point is, that's the that's the only exception that he cites here in this teaching on righteousness. What what else would you um, add? Either I think that's yourself? really helpful, I, and and it is keeping that in mind that that Jesus is uh, contrasting the prevailing opinion of the day, mm. and, and in a sense holding them to a higher standard. And so he picks up the the anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, and it is the the exception. So we could. By focusing on the exception, you can almost miss the point yes. mm. that he he's actually saying that any any other form of divorce is adultery. The other interesting thing, isn't it, and this connects with our teaching on Genesis from the end of last year, is the fact that you're not it's not just between you and the person you're divorcing and, and the consequences for the two of them. Other people are being brought into it. So isn't it interesting that anyone who marries a divorced woman, woman commits adultery? Mm. And it, what it's got to do with that Genesis stuff on Abraham that we looked at last year is remember how we looked at the fact that when um, – Abraham passed Sarai off as his sister mm. and then Pharaoh sleeps with her. Pharaoh's household is afflicted mm. by plagues. He was ignorant of who Sarah was. He was ignorant of the fact that she was married to somebody else. He, But that didn't deny the fact that, in truth, he was committing adultery with Sarai and so therefore received the consequences of that. And then even then, and that's why he's so cranky at Abraham for, for at the end of it. And then when Abraham does the same thing later on with Abimelech and passes off Sarah as his sister again, um, Abimelech this time doesn't actually do anything. Mm. But God still says, and I've saved your life basically by keeping you from doing that because you would face the consequences. So it's interesting that even if it's done in ignorance, it is still the sin of adultery. And so you're actually, Jesus is saying, you're bringing others into your sin um, when, when you do this. So it's, it's quite big. Which ties back to that Mark chapter 10, verse 9 said, this is a work of God. Marriage is a work of God where two people were individuals, they've come together as now one flesh. And so it's a God's eye view, whereas I think Mark five, uh, Matthew 5 and, and, and then in our passage Mark 10 the prevailing opinion was, oh, it's in Moses allows it. Mm. That yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, because there was a provision in the law about it. Yes. Now the other one is Matthew nineteen. Yep. Uh, so Matthew nineteen uh, from verse three. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason?" Haven't you read? He replied, "That at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. 
I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and his wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs that have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those that choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Okay, guys. So what do you what do you think are the most significant things that are in Jesus' teaching there? Yeah, I think we should notice that it's very similar to what we heard um, in Mark chapter 10. And in that sense, it is a, a parallel passage in the Synoptic Gospels. And we're seeing that here, again, the Pharisees and, and verse 1, which we didn't read, though, picks up the crowds have come uh, to them. And we're in this region across from the Jordan and the Pharisees come to test Jesus and they ask the same question. So it's likely the, the same description from a different eyewitness. Yes, yes. that's right. Mm. That's right. And uh, But... That then prompts you to ask, is there anything different um, and anything that we can pick out? And one of the differences that got flagged yesterday is is that verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another woman commits adultery. Um, And so you do have the exception again. um, And you also have the the stark response from the disciples on their part. Mm. Um, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Uh, and that prompts you to kind of ask, yeah, it, we pick up that what Jesus is teaching here is not what they were expecting or not what the Pharisees were teaching. Mm. I think one of the other bits was you, you made um, uh, a suggestion in the sermon yesterday that they uh, were, were there were two camps in the, in the Pharisees where one was pro- you know, loose with divorce and others were stricter with divorce. Um, this does seem to come from the looser with divorce. It's like they asked, the, in Matthew's one, they asked the question twice. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of go, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So they kind of give this, you know, over the top um, thing. And then Jesus responds with the, with with what Moses said in Genesis, um, uh, Genesis chapter 2. But then they go, they, they're not happy with that answer. So they, they follow it up with another question command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce like it's 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 like he's um he's like Moses is very strong on divorce mm. and so they they they're trying to put it in a pro divorce stance aren't they yes exactly so yeah and the the two kind of those two um uh pharisaical traditions one was rabbi shammai and he uh, uh, taught between 50 BC and 30 AD, and for uh, that, for his teaching, he's picking up on that phrase, the in the indecency and and the emphasis. They will. He essentially takes the strict view that it's to do with sexual morality or, or unfaithfulness, and um, it's all on that language. So the he, the two Hebrew words that get picked up on are uart, nakedness, and debar, something. Whereas Hillel, the Rabbi Hillel. He focuses not on that, the Awat Debar, but instead on that a husband finds no favour in his wife. And so if, if he can find no favour, and so that's where the emphasis gets placed. And it seems to be that, yes, the Pharisees asking this question of Jesus here are wanting to know, is it anything goes or mm-hmm. is it the stricter view um, where you're going to land Jesus? Mm-hmm. And uh, and. Jesus, in a sense, the way that he deals with Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 is to pick up that 
it's it's um they they've missed it. They you know they 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 they're actually missing what Moses is saying here. And for the disciples to realize that it means that you don't enter into marriage lightly or mm. carelessly, as the as the liturgy says, yeah, um, is bang on. Yeah, mm. because there's such an emphasis there of the the permanence, and Seb had picked it up there of the whole like you know these are two separate people that have been by God united as one, mm. and so there is a that profound reality should not be separated easily yeah um and it's not something and it's like the disciples kind of look at that and go but hang on that's that's scary Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and go oh well so maybe it's better to not do it at all than to be have to be concerned with you know making sure you can make something that might be hard keep going Mm. but that actually leads us a little bit onto 1 corinthians 7 um, so now 1 Corinthians 7 is a is, is a, a large passage. I think it's probably not realistic for us to read it all. So Seb, what do you think we should particularly um, note from 1 Corinthians 7? Yeah, just a couple of things uh, that I'll flag and then we'll read the key verses. So in verse number 1, you see, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul's answering a question that they've written to him. Uh, verses 2 to 5, he picks up on the marital relations and actually encourages husbands and wives to give their bodies to one another and not to uh, let Satan um, uh, cause a, uh, them to lack self-control, even at the times where they uh, actually step back from having sexual relations for prayer. Verses 6 to 9 uh, are actually great verses uh, that speak to the gift of singleness and Paul actually upholds that gift and says to each God has given. Uh, And so they're great verses to reflect on if you are a single person because they actually hold up a strong theology of singleness. Um, Verses 10 to 12 address marriage uh, and maybe that's worth picking up from there, verses 10 down to verse 16. Okay, so to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So a couple of things just to flag. Uh, firstly, it's easy to trip up on the, the brackets there, not I but the Lord. And Paul's not saying, oh, this part's not part of the Bible or not authoritative teaching. He's just saying that I don't have a word from Jesus here to quote to you. Um, and so rather it's his apostolic authority that he's leaning on. So it, it is biblical and we do sit under its authority. He's just saying I'm not leaning on another um, teaching from Jesus here. I'm applying um, applying all that the gospel to this situation. Uh, the second thing maybe to flag is that for Paul, the two options in it within a mixed marriage um, that, uh, that a couple have are to remain unmarried, verse 11, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or, or to be reconciled to her husband uh, and a husband must not divorce his 
wife. So in that, um, they're the two options that Paul gives. And then... If, you, if you've separated. That's right, if you've yeah. separated, sorry, from verse 10. Um, and then verse 12 down to verse 16 is the issue again of a mixed marriage. And, and, uh, and verse 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such, such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And it's the not bound, which is the key uh, sort of phrase to unpack. What what are, and this is where you get some options. You have the option is not bound means that they're no longer bound to the covenant of marriage, that they're, they've been loosed and, and they're not bound in every sense, that not only can are they functionally divorced, but also they're free to marry because they're not bound. The second option is that Paul is saying they're not bound um, to not get divorced. And so they, they can get divorced in this situation. The third option is that they're not bound to pursue reconciliation, which he's just been speaking about as well. And so they're the three options of what's sometimes called the Pauline privilege. Uh, and they pick up that, that there's debates in this area. Mm. So if we wanted to read more um, on this uh, subject, um, because we do want to get onto the rest of the passage, um, what, what, what should we look at? Uh, a couple of books and resources that I found really helpful over the past week and uh, commend them to you. There's a book by uh, Andreas Con- Kostenberger called God, Marriage and Family. And uh, he has one or two chapters uh, on marriage, divorce and remarriage and a really helpful uh, appendix on the exception clauses as well. Uh, there's also two papers which you can find, and we might link them in the podcast, uh, one by um, John Woodhouse and one by Mark Thompson. So two, um, John being previous uh, principal at Moore College and, uh, and Mark being the present one, and they've both got position papers that they presented at Priscilla Aquila conferences, ones for, for men, men and women conference, and uh, they're very helpful as well. They don't land in exactly the same place either, particularly on the issue of remarriage. Uh, so if you want to, uh, in a sense, reading their two papers helps expose you to some of the difficulties mm. and also um, some of the complexities and, and that it's it's not clear-cut or easy but worth wrestling with. And the last one is Don Carson has a concise analysis uh, of the topic of divorce and remarriage as well. And it is concise and it does deal with each of these passages and more and that's also well worth getting your hands on. Yep. So all of those are in the show notes. So wherever you get the podcast, whether you're on your phone or whether you're listening from the computer, you can click through and then I've linked all of those there for you. Okay, so now we're going to have a look at the rest of the passage. Thanks for taking us through 1 to 12 there. But if we're thinking about verses 13 to 45, is there anything that you think that might help us tie those next sections all together? Is there any thematic connection? Definitely. Um, yes, it, in terms of what ties all together, the key phrase that comes up a few times uh, in verses 13 to 50 uh, is the kingdom of God and entering into it. So verse uh, 14, you see that for them, for them, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Again, it's in verse 15, receiving the kingdom of God like a little child. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and again, 24, 
enter the kingdom of God, 25, enter the kingdom of God. So kingdom of God is the key kind of theme in this section. And getting into it. <laughs> and getting into it, that's right. Um, yeah. And uh, there's a few other phrases as well, the eternal life in verse 17, treasure in heaven, verse 21, and verse 30, the age to come. So there's a real future focus. It's, a, it's an eschatological passage in one sense. Mm. Um, and it's to the disciples as well and helping them. And so we've just seen marriage come up in the first section there to have a radical commitment to marriage. And it's interesting that then we move from marriage, the way Mark's arranged it is marriage, children, and then possessions and wealth. Mm-hmm. And it's all in this theme. I mean, that, that applies to everyone. We're, we're, we're all to, um, th- this is discipleship in the details mm. um, and what it looks like to have, have a radically kingdom-centered approach. And all of this is building up towards and a few times we'll see, and when we come to read it, building up towards Jesus's mission to go up to Jerusalem. Yes. And it ends on a note, verse 45, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're seeing a, we're seeing a real kind of um, Mark's gospel start to head towards its climax and towards what we've been building along the last few chapters with each of Jesus's predictions. And that a lot of these kingdom ideas are going to be turning convention on its head as well. I think we'll see that coming through as well. So let's begin with the first one, just verses 13 to 16. So Mandy, would you like to read that for us? People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. What are some of the things that really strike us about that section? It does remind us a little bit what came up uh, in mm. chapter 9 uh, where Jesus took a little child I- into his midst whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms and said, welcome one of these little ones in my name, welcome them. And here you actually then have Je- what makes Jesus indignant, what makes him angry and, and cross. It's, it's his disciples stopping and rebuking those who are bringing children to mm. him to be blessed. Um, and so we see what, what bothers Jesus and... Um, Jesus says the absolute opposite. He's correcting his disciples and saying, let these little children come to me. Don't mm. hinder them, which reminds us again of don't cause another don't to sin, stumble. Don't, mm. to, to stumble, to stumble, to fall in their faith. Um, For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he uses these little children, verse 15, as an example for them. Truly, I tell you, anyone, um, and truly, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And uh, that forces us to think about how yeah. a child comes to Jesus. Mm. Um, as as first as they come to Jesus, or even they're taken to Jesus. Yeah. Is, <laughs> people is a, were bringing the children. Right. There's almost a passiveness to it, and they they don't have anything to offer. Yeah, mm. and it's in the context where actually um, we keep seeing pride as a theme um, yes. that is being yeah. picked up for the disciples who are jostling for the best place and who are in rivalry with one another and Jesus is having to say, have peace with one another. And he's saying, you know how you're to receive the kingdom of God? It's like a little child. It's mm-hmm. coming coming to me empty-handed. And there's something is there about the way that the disciples, what, what sort of people block others from coming close? Mm-hmm. People who are starting to get a little bit 
seeing themselves as the inner circle. And, mm. and so, no, no, keep them away. Um, the master needs to move ahead. And so because you're the ones that are blocking others out of the way, you're the gatekeepers and, and he's going and, – and, and Jesus is, is ticked off. He's, he's really un- unhappy about it. And I think that, um, that really what, are the, what is it that those children are receiving – um, they've got nothing to bring. They're being brought themselves, as you were pointing out. They're, 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 they're passive in this. Others are bringing the children to him. And all they're doing is receiving Jesus' blessing, mm. Mm. That, that he is um, showing his kindness and grace to them. And that's the secret. There's something wonderfully simple about this heart of, of where the kingdom comes from. And, um, and it gets challenged again with the next section. Yeah, so from verse 17, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away and said, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So now here's the thing. It's, we often call this the rich young, young ruler, but, but that's not what Mark says. We're not told that he was a ruler. We're told he had, had many possessions, but we're just told about this young man that comes up to him or even a man. So, so um, I, I remember when I was looking at this, one of the things that stood out for me is the way, again, Mark just gives us quite detailed descriptions. We're told... Jesus starting on his way and a man runs up to him and kneels at him. Now, if you're just picturing that situation, um, this is somebody when he asks his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The fact that he runs up to him and falls on his knees said, this is a question, not a test. This is being asked in good faith. This is something that this man is really wrestling with and is is uh, earnestly seeking the answer for it, and that just that very beginning, I think, is important not to lose sight of as we as we hear his question. This is something that, as it, it actually amazes if you think who, which of us wouldn't do that? Mm-hmm. It's a very fact that we don't, that people aren't running up, going, "What do I have to do to inherit eternal life?" Says how much the world is blind to what it should actually be concerned about. But mm. this man is really concerned about the right stuff. Um, so it's a quite a powerful beginning. What, what else do you think um, is interesting about Jesus' response and what the man's doing here? He's getting a, ro- a lot right, isn't he? I mean, mm. he's asking, mm. how do I inherit, inherit eternal life? And he's coming to Jesus and he's got yes. the posture of someone, you know, I fell on his knees. So, yeah. Um, and, but he addresses him, good teacher. Why do you call me good? It's yeah. just interesting Jesus responds like that. It is an interesting response because it's um, – if you were picturing – it's like one of these classic things like, you know, when he heals the paralysed man where everyone's going, we're waiting for a healing here, we're waiting for a healing here, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Um, it's this kind of thing. You've got this man go, what must I do? He's asking the big question, and Jesus picks on his – the adjective he used when he was talking about Jesus. Why do you call me good? Um 
and that very thing sort of causes you to stop, doesn't it? Mm. It, it goes, hey, why, why are we talking about that? Well, because that's going to be very germane to the rest of his answer. Um, I mean, Jesus goes on in his response to to point to the law, mm. like the commandments that the man's received about, you know, sh- don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. Like, you mm. know, we know this. This is familiar to us and mm. obviously familiar to him such that he can say, well, I've done all this. Like, teacher, I've kept all these since I was a boy. Mm. This is interesting. The law comes up again and yep. we, we've just been with those who were, you know, scrupulous on the law, the Pharisees, and yet might yep. be missing something as well. Yep. But it's interesting because even though he's kept the law, he's still he's quite aware of the fact that there's something else that's there's something missing because mm. he's gone to Jesus going, but what must he's I do to for the for the answer? Isn't yeah, he? it is interesting as well that Jesus, when he says to the man, you know the commandments, you know what the law says, mm. and what he cites then is the ethical ways of responding to other people. Uh, so, so we don't get the first few of the commandments. We, we're yep. getting the the how do you treat other people sort of mm. commandments, which is which is an interesting observation yeah. in there. But but um, yeah, it's his recognition. He said, "I've kept all these from the boy from since I was a boy." So, and presumably, again, in good faith, he's really tried to. Um, but as you said, he still recognizes that he's not. There's something missing. Yeah. Um, and this is where an, another we've talked about when we did Mark last year. The, one of the characteristics of Mark's gospel, even in the way he compares it to Luke and Matthew, the other synoptics, is he is especially interested in the inside world and the thinking of the people and where they're looking. And this passage is full of this. Because you'll notice that in that in Jesus, um, Jesus says in Mark 10, 21, that basically Jesus, um, looking at him, loved him and said, that's, that's in the How original, it's kind of like he, he looks at him, it's like he's, He's seeing the whole man in front of him. It's like when Jesus looks at someone, he sees what there is to see. Um, but you get that comment that he loved him as he looked at So again, this is not a man, he doesn't see a fool. He doesn't see a, um, a, a self-righteous braggart. He sees someone who he loves and there is something powerfully moving in what he has to say next because it's going to disappoint the man yeah yeah because as he said that jesus instruction to him is to well sell everything you you have give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me and the response of the man isn't to then go okay sure Mm. instead his response is his face falls Mm. and he went away sad because he had great wealth this is a man that comes to Jesus with, I've got all this stuff, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, your stuff's getting in the way. Yeah, yeah. Now, we, there, there's a, a, it's always an interesting thing with, with this story as it turns up in either, either of the Gospels where it, there is something so like all about, about the guy. You always end up wondering, well, does he go away and sell it? Does he, do we have, we're meant to assume that he doesn't sell it? Does eventually when Jesus dies and rises again, does this man become a believer that we find out about? And it's not like Nicodemus where we get the insight at the end in John's gospel Mm. where you can go, oh, look, but he gets it in the end. We just don't know. We just don't know. It's it's this mystery. We just know that at that point in time, he he goes, that Jesus loved him, but he he goes away saddened by by this news. And um, so it's it's quite a, a, a... a pressing point and and this is where maybe 
maybe the commandments that aren't mentioned when Jesus cites the law um, are relevant here. Is it that what he he has loved is he is having a God before God? In other words, does he love his wealth more than he loves the Lord? Is he Does his possessions matter to him more than seeking the kingdom of God? Which may be, it, it's, it's an argument from omission in that it's not there, but could it be that um, he has actually neglected the earlier commandments about loving God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength? So, um, but but more happens from this. Is there anything you want to say, Seb, before we move on to the next uh, section? Just that it's, uh, it, I think it's challenging for us. Mm. Like we, we live in one of the wealthiest parts of the world mm. and yeah. we're about to see that, you know, what's, what's impossible with, um, verse 27, with man this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. I, just, just to feel the weight of that this, passage has been included by Mark and Jesus as an episode of discipleship to show mm. one of the things that can cause us to stumble mm. in entering the kingdom of God and um, and to see that the problem's not on Jesus' side. He loves this man, mm. um, but the problem he puts his finger on on the, the nail in one sense or on his heart in identifying something that will trip him up. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the man almost knows it might be his problem. I, I don't know. Maybe that's that. Um, there's something yeah. missing. Oh, no, you actually pointed it out. Um, so let's have a look at the next section because the disciples are watching all of this. So what, what do we read there? From verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said, said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay. All right, so what do you think, what does Jesus do with the aftermath to this young man. Yeah, I jumped the gun by mentioning it before, <laughs> but it, it is interesting, verse 24, he addresses them as children. Mm. Yes. Um, and we've just seen that Jesus' approach to children and his commendation as well of children who are coming humbly, dependently, with nothing in their hands to bring. And mm. and here he addresses his his children, his disciples, his followers, and, um, and gives this... Interesting picture of verse 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Um, you ever, any thoughts on that, Dave? Yeah, the, the, um, it's clearly a, an illustration of impossibility. Uh, you know, there is a, a story around the place that one of the gates into Jerusalem was called the eye of the needle. And, and so it was a very narrow, it was called that because it was a small gate. That's, who cares? Um, that may or may not be true. The, the point is, is Jesus making a point about what is impossible for man 
like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Uh, it's impossible. It's not possible but difficult. It's impossible. Mm. And that therefore that's the, to actually enter the kingdom of God on your merits is impossible. Mm. Um, and because I think the thing is you might go that the disciples question, well, then, then who's able to be saved? You might go, oh, is that overinflating the value of rich people? Um, is it that they just assumed that rich people were blessed by God and all that? I think it's a bit more than that. I think this is not just any rich person. This is a rich person that fell at the feet of Jesus running up wanting to know how to enter the kingdom of God. Um, and who had no doubt earnestly tried to keep the commandments from his youth. Mm. Well, if that guy can't enter the kingdom of God, then who can? And Jesus' point is, you know, God, you need God to do mm. it. Um, and uh, and so I think that's quite that's quite powerful there. I, I think the other thing was interesting how Peter responds. Yes, verse twenty eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've left everything to follow you. So like. he's picked on the two things that that Jesus told. The man who's asking about how to enter the kingdom, um, to inherit the kingdom, what he had to do, he says, sell everything you have, give it all away, and then follow me. And so these disciples were listening, and Peter has gone, you told him to do things. Hang on a minute. I've done those mm. two mm. things. And it's interesting, there's a um, the original reads that Peter began to say to him, we've done all this. And so I think there's an implied that Jesus like he interrupts, in, interrupts yeah. Peter at this point. That he goes, I know where your mind's following, mm. and then and then goes and follows it through. But Peter's going, we have left everything, and we have followed you. Are you telling me that the answer to the biggest question is something we already have, mm. that we're going to enter the kingdom of God? And then, and then Jesus' answer is interesting, and I'd be interested. I'm going to make a call and ask for your verdict on whether you think this is a rebuke of Peter or whether you just think it's a, a how much more encouragement of Peter. Because Peter says, we left everything, and Jesus' answer is pretty much, you've gained everything. Mm. You've actually received in this age a hundredfold whatever you gave up. Um, anyone who, who you it, it kind of says, truly, there is no one who's left these things who was not going to receive a hundred times, for who doesn't receive now in this age. And so... Um, and then and then says, and in the age to come, eternal life. And then talks about the first being last and the last being first. What do you think Jesus' answer to Peter is? It's definitely, I don't know if I can come down on one or the other, but to verse 29, truly I tell you, it links back verse 15, truly I tell you, there is a there is a corrective going on here, I think. Um, and and Jesus is saying, you know, you aren't going to miss out. Mm. <laughs> don't, don't feel like you're missing out. Yeah, uh, that that's a wrong kingdom view. That's a world a worldly view is to love the stuff down here that you've got now and to fail to recognize what you've already come in and entered into. Yeah, and I do. Yeah, the same thing. I don't want to kind of go too hard on Peter because I think there's a lot that we often see in the. But it's that little bit of they kind of get it, but not always completely. And so, you know, we saw that earlier and we're going to see another one of the predictions of Jesus' death. But the first time he does it, and like, you know, Peter gets that he's the Messiah but completely messes up what the significance of that and what it means and what it's going to be. And so, mm. you know, I kind of go, that you don't need to go hard on him but get that whole he's kind of grasped something mm. but there's more to it that he needs to understand. And so this is... Hold on, what do you think, Dave? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you spotted that. Um, and no, look, I think that there is a. I think it's a, a how much more. I think I wonder whether it's it, there's the correction is that Peter is 
really fishing for affirmation and Jesus is wanting to say, don't think that what you have done is some super meritorious thing uh, that that is uh, uh, what you must do to inherit eternal life that is super massive because you're actually making the call like the person who recognises there's a treasure in the field goes and sells everything he has and then goes and buys the field because he's going, man, this is a good investment any way you want to look at it. And and so I think it's he's, he's affirming Peter but he's upping it and saying it is the it is the there is no loss here this is actually the secret to actually passively following me and not having things in your hands to bring is what brings you more than anything and so the the prosperity teachers will twist this and kind of they even have a hundredfold prayer mm. that they offer to pray on your behalf. You send in money and they will pray a hundredfold prayer over your offering and so you give them $100 and you'll get a hundred times that. Um, and they promise this. This is the eternal evangelist. I've, I've, I've heard them say it. I presume they leave out the part along with persecutions. Along with persecutions, <laughs> exactly. Um, but the point is, is that Jesus is saying it, and a lot of what he's talking about is relationships, mm. It's yes, it's things that yes, there's possessions, there's houses and fields that you lose, but there's also relationships that you lose um, sometimes in following Jesus. But in the kingdom, there are brothers and sisters and mothers. But did you notice that the one detail he doesn't repeat is fathers? Mm-hmm. There's no hundredfold of fathers because you receive one heavenly Father, mm-hmm. and He is worth more than a billion, mm-hmm. billion plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, at the end as well, he goes. He finishes it by saying, but many who are first will be last and last first. Like he stops Peter. From, you know, he's yeah. Peter wanting to be first again. again. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You know, and it is that turning on its head that how do you get into the kingdom? It's not about the greatest. It's not about the best. It's actually about the child who comes in humble dependence. And and the, the things that they've given up is because for me and for the gospel – uh, it, it is it is that in Jesus is found this abundance. Mm. Yeah. And so then we come to the last part. Last part. Um, and so we're going to do this whole section together. Um, so they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am being baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, 
and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm. It is, that's one of those, I, if there's two passages right next to each other that are more jarring, mm-hmm. um, I, it's, I can't think of them off the top of my head, than Jesus predicting his death and his suffering and how much he's going to be persecuted and then James and John going, do what we want you to do, put us <laughs> next to you right now. You're going, what planet are you guys on? Uh, what do you think we should think about and understand about this and notice, Seb? Yeah, we get the third on the way phrase, mm. verse 32, and, and we've been seeing that in these travel narratives back starting in uh, midway through chapter 8, the turning point in Mark's gospel. But now we get more specific, verse 32, where we're headed up to Jerusalem. And notice it's with Jesus leading the way. So mm. there's a, a you know, we called our series Following the King, and they are. They're, Literally. They're following. He's leading the way, and they're following along behind. They've got a really interesting response, though. The disciples were astonished. Uh, while those who followed were afraid. So so it, it says, that says, uh, it's an important detail you bring up there because that's Mark giving us very clear context of what the people that were there mm. at the time are interpreting about Jesus leading the way up to Jerusalem. Mm. It's not he's going to the shops. There's His followers are um, astonished. They're, they're kind of recognised. There's something, it must have been something you had to see but there was clearly a vibe about this action that said something decisive is taking place because his followers are astonished and the crowd are afraid, which I think they're anticipating perhaps conflict um, or or a or a um, a showdown of yep. some sort. Yeah, I mean, and Jesus makes it clear there that the reason that he's going to Jerusalem is that that is mm. where he is going to die. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so um, like there's no – he's not at all uncertain about what's going to happen. Yeah. And so the fact that some that are a bit more on the outside but following are afraid of what's ahead mm. does make some sense. Yeah. And yeah. there's an interplay on this, the, the present age and the age to come of eternal life. And here Jesus is telling them again, third time, what's about to happen? He's pointing to the future and mm-hmm. predicting and, and telling them again, we're going up to Jerusalem. And it's just a 12 here. He's making it very clear to them. Mm. And uh, you get those same repeated elements. The son of man is the term that he uses for himself. Uh, going to be delivered up. Mm. Going mm. to be condemned to death. And the little details we get added in this one, because we notice those in chapter 8, 9 and 10, it just changes a, a little bit's added or, or a detail is given. And here the emphasis is that he's, verse 34, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. So Jesus is going to be handed over to the Jews. The Jews are going to hand him over to the Gentiles. There's a, a thorough a giving partnership. up. Mm. And, a and partnership. And there's a partnership in the opponents to the kingdom mm. as right. well. In yeah. rejecting the Son of Man, in rejecting mm. the God's ruler, his anointed king. Yeah. And three days later he will rise. Yeah, yeah. Jews and Gentiles alike are mm. united in their destruction of him. And it's a more violent Mm. telling isn't it and so that's what makes james and john's response just breathtaking yeah i mean well we've already had two interesting responses to jesus predictions of his death and now we see that it's not just peter that doesn't get it right it's not all of them just all of them as a whole but here we then get the other two that are very close because it's often peter james and john described Mm. as kind of the it's almost like they're they're the wardens of the parish council (laughs) to use an anglican (laughs) illustration um but yeah so they come and then kind of oh give us whatever we ask 
Yes, yeah, so we saw earlier what made Jesus indignant, and that was his disciples stopping little children coming to him. Well, verse 41, what makes the ten indignant in hearing about what James and John have done? Yeah. And, and there's this little interplay going on, and maybe it does stem back to that Jesus took Peter, James and John up the mountain in chapter nine, start of chapter 9 for the transfiguration, but there's something going on where the disciples, they, they have an internal kind of rivalry that revolves around what they're expecting the king, the son of man to come and do and they're jostling for the for the best position it, it certainly says that perhaps this is um that and we'll, we'll see this in next week's passage where we look at jesus triumphal entry into jerusalem but where uh clearly james and john are seeing this as a messianic act mm. and it's almost like they've just blocked their ears to what jesus said he's going up there to do but they see him as being the king who's going to Go, go into Jerusalem and, and be, be the Messiah. And so they're going to try and get in now. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but again, it it's, it's just says that they're not understanding. And even Jesus, I, I think, especially after Jesus having said, he's am- amazingly patient with them, isn't he? Just mm. He's just told them the horror that he's about to go through. And he says, do you, do you know what you're asking? Are you prepared to do what I've got to do? And they said, sure we are. And he goes, yeah, you know what? You will. Mm. Um, but there's this soberness to that, to that response. Um, and, uh, and then he contrasts, doesn't he? Jesus answer. He, it's again one of these inside. He goes, all right, the others have heard about this. Let's get them all together again and let's make them clear that the passage of the kingdom is not about lording. It is not about power. It is about um, servant. It's about, about being a slave of all if you want to become great in the kingdom. It's this complete first, last, uh, culminating this reversal theme that the path to the kingdom is actually going to be through suffering. Yes, there will be glory at the end of it, but but it is not something that you just rush to put your hand up to <laughs> like like they're trying to do. Um, and, and, of course, Mark 10.45, that famous verse that he's actually going up to give his life as a ransom to, to pay the price mm. to free others. And that just picks up, doesn't it, that the cup and the baptism that I'll be baptised with and, and all of those metaphors are, are, um, are picking up what, what we're about to see at the end of Mark's Gospel, the cross and what the Son of Man's come to do to be killed and to give his life out for others. And yeah, it's very striking that that's, you know, they're physically being led by Jesus in this way and yet the discipleship is also a call to come and die like me, to come and actually lay down your life and to serve. Well, that sounds like a great spot to finish with. So um, it's a marvellous passage. I've been Dave. I've been Zeb. And I've been Mandy. Join us again next week as we continue to follow that journey of Jesus uh, as he heads into Jerusalem and we see what is going to happen to him next. Next.